Good morning. Is it, is it okay if I park there? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, by the way. I always thought SeaTac was an airport. Well, apparently, it's a city too. In an area of Seattle known as Highline, and where I'm starting my day. I'm in Washington for three days to see three of 16 inclusionary practices model demonstration sites across the state of Washington. In the fall of 2019, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction launched the Inclusionary Practices Professional Development Project in collaboration with the Herring Center for Inclusive Education at the University of Washington. McMicken Elementary was one of the first demonstration sites. As I walk into the school, there's a multicolored mosaic of student self-portraits. And on the top it reads, we are a rainbow of possibilities. And I'm wondering, is it possible to have a whole state get on board with inclusive education? I guess I'm going to find out. I'm Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Inclusion Stories, our podcast series that tells the stories of families, educators, and school systems on their journey to full and authentic inclusive education for each and every learner. Chapter three, everyone's an inclusive educator. I think now would be a great time for a quick recap. We are three chapters in with our podcast series, and I hope that you have a little bit better understanding of what I mean when we're talking about inclusive education. So here goes. In chapter one, we met the Shams, who were so tired of fighting with their school district that they removed special education services just so that their daughter, Natalia, could attend her home school. And then we visited Cecil County Public Schools in Maryland, which includes all learners, starting in pre-K. In Chapter 2, we met the Berries, who advocated for their daughter, Harper, to be taken out of her segregated special education classroom and be placed in a general education classroom with her peers. And then with the help of our friend Bree, we learned about how Westland Wilsonville School District was building a culture of inclusion. For chapter three, I'm taking you with me on my visit across the state of Washington to observe schools who are fully committed to inclusive education for all learners. And this time, you are going to hear directly from some students. Now, there are a lot of school districts out there that are trying to be more inclusive, which is amazing, and I don't want to take anything away from their efforts. 
But what is exceptional about the schools you're going to hear from in this chapter and in the whole series is that they have a shared understanding of what inclusive education really means. For instance, does your school district have inclusion classrooms or inclusion teachers or an inclusion program? Well, then they may not actually be inclusive. When we at MCIE talk about inclusive education, we essentially mean four things. That learners with disabilities are present in classrooms with non-disabled peers. That they are members of that classroom and experiencing belonging, just like every learner should. That they are participating in the same classroom rituals, routines, and activities as every learner does. And that they are learning the same things as every other learner. It seems simple, right? But you would be amazed at how many learners with disabilities are left out and excluded. And the biggest way they are left out is by being separated into multi-grade classrooms where it is impossible for educators to teach even one set of grade level standards. There's this classic article written by Julie Costin called, Does Self-Contained Special Education Deliver on Its Promises? The short answer is no. Well, the long answer is no, too. But the article starts off with a quote from a student, Victor, who was educated in a self-contained classroom for much of his life. And here's the quote. Please know that self-deadening spaces are hard spaces to make progress and learn stuff. They don't have people wanting you to really learn anything except person, place, or things. Nouns, I know. That's my take. But I'm just one person. I know lots of people love those rooms. More often, they just play games like Uno. A school should be what we all love, but my experiences about broke my freaking soul. Wow, Tim, you are really going hard after special education classrooms. Yeah, I am. And one of the reasons why is because I know exactly what goes on in these classrooms because I taught in them. And on my best day, it wasn't ideal. As you're listening to this episode, take note of how the school leaders talk about educating all learners. And I want you to notice how incompatible having special education classrooms are with this philosophy and practice. After a short break, we visit McMicken Elementary School. Catch you on the other side. Welcome back. Let me set the scene here because we are going to stay in this conversation for a while. I'm sitting in a conference room at McMicken with various school leaders from across the state and even some from nearby states. And we are listening to the origin story of the Inclusionary Practices Professional Development Project. Here is Cassie Martin, the Executive Director of Special Education at the Washington Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, OSPI, talking about. Alex Haas, the principal at McMicken. And you'll hear Cassie mention Jennifer Reinig. She is the chief academic officer in Highline Public Schools, which McMicken is a part of. So, so to provide some context, so where this all started was at a leadership conference in Highline Public Schools. I was doing a leadership session with the school leaders on equity and inclusion. And then Jennifer and I started working together pretty closely. And then one time we went out for coffee at a Starbucks and she said to me, what is your dream? And I said, well, I'd like to create 
a model demonstration site for inclusive education because what was happening is we had our pre-service educators also from the University of Washington that didn't have a place to go. They were, you know, we were looking for placements. We didn't have a place to go. And, and we were also thinking about what would be a really good transformative professional development model. So we sketched out our plan on a napkin there, I believe. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yes. <laughs> and that's where the proposal kind of started. And then I said, the, the, I had one ask. I said, you know, I just really want an innovative site-based leader. And Jennifer said to me, well, I have just the person for you. And I believe that was about seven years ago, and that started a beautiful friendship and relationship between Alex and myself. And we've had, so um, the inception of this work was before the formal work of the um, IPP demonstration site. So Alex really kicked this all off um, here at McMahon in Washington State. Here is Tanya May, Assistant Superintendent of Special Education at OSPI. And the next voice you'll hear is Alex Haas. And I, I would just add further that not only um, led to it, but inspired it. Um, and that's the thing about these grassroots movements is there was amazing work happening here and systems change that helped to elevate the need and create urgency higher up in the system, including at the state. So, so we're excited and we've been on a journey and continue on the journey. And so I've been here, this is my ninth year. I'm really excited. Prior to that, I was in Seattle Public Schools as, as an assistant principal. And prior to that, I was in um, Los Angeles Unified School District. And the second year started to notice that just in the very beginning stages, our learning resource center, students were pulled out during core instruction and that was preventing some application opportunities for them. They were pulled out of a chance to really practice their reading skills and then given some very discreet, specially designed instruction and then weren't necessarily making the progress that they needed to be making. We started success groups. Everybody who needs either extension or individualized instruction, small group instruction, the idea is that no longer are a certain subset of students pulled out and called out as you're the ones who need this instruction and nobody else needs it. And Sarah Morgan was instrumental in that. And so Sarah, if you want to jump in at any point, you attended some co-teaching training. You want to share a little bit about that? Sure. This is Sarah Morgan, a student support specialist with an inclusion focus. Yeah, so our district had offered, based off Marilyn Friend, her everything around co-teaching from her research, and our district put on an informal PD around that and was like, let's just get this information out and see where it lands with people. And so myself and another teacher who was duly certified as well in special education and general education, we both attended and we walked away like, let's do this. And what was echoed a lot in the meeting was, you need your admin support. Otherwise, this is not going to work. And so we came right back to Alex and said, look, this is what you know was highlighted. It seems to be with what we want to do already with the success groups, be more inclusive and have students more in the general education classroom, never missing core. And so then it just evolved from there. And we were looking at master schedule and all those things of the reasons why you needed your admin support to be able to do this. And we all just work together to start this. That's co-teaching is one of many inclusive practices, but that's where we did start. So I feel like you got some really nice leverage with that. So that was that next year. And because we had been approached by our team, by our teachers, we started planning in April of the year prior. So we wanted to see it be successful. And so then we monitored how it went. We got really great results, student impact data, and then we were able to make a case to scale the model. And so the next couple of years really show how we scaled that model 
across gen ed and special education. And so over those years, we basically quadrupled or quintupled even at some point, the amount of co-teaching that we were doing. And what we found is once you kind of break through some of those initial um, constructs, like it has to be the special education teacher who does the SDI, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be the special education teacher who does it. There needs to be some oversight and some case management. But so we would have oftentimes two general education practitioners overseeing not only general education instruction, but any of the SDI minutes that were needed in assessment collection. Alex and her staff continued breaking down barriers, dismantling something called an emotional behavioral center, which was a separate classroom where students who exhibited challenging behaviors received services. They were now included in general education classrooms. For students with extensive support needs, they were now included right from the start in kindergarten. Learners at McMicken were receiving the benefit of strong core instruction of a general education teacher while simultaneously being supported by teachers who could design interventions, the special educator, kind of like how it was always meant to be. And they're not finished changing how they serve all learners. By next year, we really will have almost every model of special education programming here at McMicken. And that's deliberate because the idea is, of course, that no matter who walks in that door, we can serve them here. You're in this neighborhood, you get to come to this school. You don't have to be on a bus for an hour. We have the staff and the program support and the expertise to support you here. And of course, as much as possible in the general education classroom. I think what we've been trying to message, and it lands in different ways, is that everyone's an inclusive educator. And so we talked to our, our team, and like all the strong routines and structures, the explicit teaching, the teacher clarity, the learning targets, the success criteria, the modeling, having asset-based language around student learning, all of that is an inclusive education construct. And so you might not feel quite as comfortable, for example, supporting a student with an AAC or an assistive communication device. That may be very new for you, right? But all the things you're doing in your classroom every day to make your learners feel safe, supported, and have rigor and be warm demanders, those are all setting the stage for inclusion. After a short break, we're going to chat with some students. Sarah Morgan, student support specialist at McMicken, was kind enough to set up some student interviews for me. Uh, we aren't going to use their names, but they were all second, third, and fourth graders. Let's roll the tape and I'll share some thoughts on the other side. Awesome. I'm Mr. V, or Mr. Tim, whichever you want. Tell me about what you like about your class. Uh, I have a crush. I have some good friends, some rivals, but okay. they're all good friends. Think about having two teachers in your classroom. It's good. Yeah. Do you get more help? Yeah. How does the, how do the two teachers help you? They help me get more work on the bathroom. What do you like about McMicken? That, that I have teachers and I can learn stuff. Yeah. So you have two teachers, right? Yeah. What's that like? 
like having parents teaching me. Yeah? How are they like parents? Because if they're still them, it's like a mom and dad, and they teach me like about math, reading, and writing. Hey, I'm Tim. Uh, I heard you had a podcast. Yeah, I have a podcast like at home. I haven't figured out how to like make a podcast yet. All you gotta do is pick a topic and you start right. talking about it. That's it. <laughs> what do you like? I like like animals. I bet you could make a fantastic animal podcast. If I ask you what inclusive means, like if I say make make it's an inclusive school, what does that mean to you? Inclusive kind of means like there's lots of special needs students here. We make sure that they get the proper type of learning and if they don't succeed, we make sure that they will and we'll never hold them back. So what do you like about McMicken? Yeah, what I like about McMicken is how a lot of nice things to do, um, nice teachers and stuff. It's a very nice school here, especially the way that it was built too. One thing you like about McMicken? Um, it's it supports me a lot. Let's say in writing, I have something called Cool Writer, which just picks up everything I say and sometimes I need to hear it back and it also reads it back to me. What would it be like if you didn't have co-writer? Probably very difficult because physically I can't write. I have dyslexia and feel very supported. A couple of years ago, I had a teacher that would teach us in a way that everybody would understand. Like, um, everybody would, she would find out what we understand and would put it in like a lesson so we would all know what, what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I heard McMickens are really great place to learn. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it's so great? Um, they support you when you like you need help in your learning and um if you like need any new strategies, they'll probably like teach you. Um they're really kind to your students, like even if anything happened, they would still support you. Mm-hmm. So I heard, so I heard you use the word support, like, how do, you, how do you feel supported? Um, probably, like, when groups, success groups, really helps a lot of students, especially when they need help, like, in math, reading, um, and using, like, your notebook. We use notebooks to write down, like, maybe our notes or something that you observe or how to do your math or, and I really like how our teachers push us, challenge us to use our strategies so then we could like be more engaged in our learning. Well thank you. I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alright. Awesome, awesome. Have a few reflections from my visit. What an exceptional school. Not only was it clear that the staff bought into a vision of inclusion, but the students also had inclusion on their mind. I loved how the last couple of learners I interviewed talked about feeling supported. Isn't that exactly what we want? 
Another thing that I want to mention that didn't come through the audio were how many visual supports that were available everywhere around the school, from the gym to the library and to each and every classroom. Learners were supported with visual schedules and ways to guide them through routines. And just for example, in the library, when you looked at the shelves, there were little tags that were posted on the outside of the shelf with pictures of the cover of some of the books. So even if you weren't yet able to read the author or the book title name, you could find what you were looking for just by using the visuals. Well, it was quite a day at McMicken, but my day and trip isn't over. I still needed to meet some friends at a nearby Panera. Let's go. I'm Sarah Butcher. I'm co-founder and director of Roots of Inclusion. I'm also a parent. Hi, I'm Cindy Blasco. I am also a director at Roots of Inclusion and a parent. My name is Graham Blasco and I am 20 years old. I communicate primarily with Augmentative and Alternative Communication, or AAC. I'm currently a running start student at Bellevue College with an Iona College degree. I'm Jennifer Carls, and I'm co-founder and director at Roots of Inclusion. I'm also a parent. Roots of Inclusion may sound familiar to you. That's because they are one of our wonderful sponsors. They are also based out of Bellevue, Washington, which isn't too far from where I spent my day at McMicken. So we decided to have a meetup at a local Panera. I told him there was no pressure to this meeting, that he was just supposed to listen. Grant is a remarkable young man, someone who I would describe as breaking down stereotypes for people who type to communicate. And I just have to give him huge props for sticking out this conversation with us because the environment was very distracting. There was background music coming over the speakers and the ceiling. There were people coming in and out of the area, but he had some really important things to say. I would like to learn about how you will change the minds of the people who don't believe this will work. <laughs> Great question, Grace. <laughs> That's the whole reason why I'm here. Uh, the whole reason I'm here is to try to help change people's minds and create the podcast and have people listen to people like you. I think that inclusion works when I think about it only when the administration is informed about disability justice. Well said, Well said. That was awesome. That's kind of like, that, that might be the highlight. He's really struggling today, I will say that. Like, I don't know if it's... Well, Grant, I really He has finals it. next week, so we're... I appreciate, I appreciate you being here and chatting with me. I really do. Yeah, that piece is so key. It's interesting, like, I think it was the UW that had, did a workshop with a bunch of educators around disability justice principles in education, and it yeah. was really powerful yeah. to listen and listen to educators think about those pieces and how that applies, reflecting on their learning, but also then how it applies into what they're doing yeah. now, right? What, one of the things that we noticed when Grant's, when he became older and when Bob Williams started mentoring him was that it became harder and harder to go. When he went into the college or running start, 
dual enrollment program and, and had a, a better um, accessibility and there was more understanding about disability and there was an expectation that you should be accommodated. Um, and then all of the work with communication first and then trying to come back into a regular school where there wasn't an informed staff who had anything to do with the disability community. It was the language that was speaking two different languages, really. And so it was so hard because you would hear the language that people were using during an IEP meeting or during a, a, a any sort of school training. And you, you were just, we, we used to joke that you needed a disability advocate in an IEP meeting so that somebody could call out how many different times there was just language that was used that was not appropriate. And it was just the complete lack of being informed that led to that. And then it made it just really difficult to enter into the space. So the space didn't feel safe. And there was such an awareness that the space wasn't safe that you do get to the point where you just think, I, I just need to move on. Yeah. What is that example, like the early adopters and then kind of the late, what is that? I was thinking about. Right. Like the storytelling yeah. helps move people along yeah. that curve, right? And there are the, is it the stragglers or the people at the end we're gonna have to kind of drag along? But there's those folks kind of in that middle where it's like, what is it that makes them feel that emotion, right? And that's where, like not only the storytelling, but then hearing those examples, like what you were just sharing goes, I didn't realize I was doing that. Because we have amazing people that don't in any way want to be part of the problem. And they're completely unaware that some of the things, whether they've been taught or they've witnessed and have just taken on as their own practice, like is part of the problem. So how do we have that curiosity? right, to just be in relationship together as we learn and move through these system changes, right, rather than defending why and the stories show yeah, like exactly. that it's harmful and so let's figure out a different path forward, yeah. right, yeah. Want to say something else, Grant? Moment. I. Matt. You. I. New. I. Liked. You. <laughs> Moment I met you, I knew I liked you. <laughs> That's always good to hear, Thanks, right? Grant. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Are we good? Tomorrow, see home high school. Time to get some rest and take the drive up the Washington coast to Bellingham.
today is Thursday, March 16th. Uh, just drove up from Linwood, Washington, headed uh, to Bellingham, Washington, and I am trying to navigate a lot of people at Seahome High School. It's like everyone's getting to school. Good morning. Welcome to Seaho. Oh, thank you. It looked like a snowmobile on the guy on that guy's truck. I think I got here right on time. Good morning. I'm here with a tour. Hi, over here, right? Oh, Hi. I'm Dana. We've been on some emails together. Hi, I'm Tim. Nice, nice to, to meet you, Tim. Sorry, my hands are cold. Hi, Tim. Nice Kim Kirk. Kim, nice to meet you. It is nice only to meet you. Too this morning. I was like, it is fine. So here is what I'm learning about inclusion in the state of Washington. Before the Inclusionary Practices Project was even a thing, sites like McMicken and Seahome were already well on their way to changing how they educated all learners. And as I settle in for my tour, I'm wondering, what does an inclusive high school really look like it. Let's see, I'm gonna do my best teacher projection voice here. So I know a lot of you came from long and far. Uh, welcome to Bellingham. Um, so my name is Christina Novak. I'm part of the IPP Demonstration Sites Project and I get to be um, the lead at Z-Home and work with the great Z-Home team. And most of you have already met. Good morning, Rena Marie, Leon Guerrero. Awesome. Good morning, I'm Sonia Cole. I'm the principal. Thanks for being here. Hi, I'm Kim Kirk. Met many of you at the door. I'm our instructional coach. Um, so sort of how we do things is we'll take you to a classroom. We'll encourage you to go inside. If you have questions, step outside into the hallway and we can answer those questions. So feel free to go in and out so we can have that dialogue. We just don't want to be doing it while instruction's happening. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of great pods and chairs and couches and screens throughout the building. So it's a a wonderful campus for collaboration. So back in 2019-2020, CU Home was running about 18 co-taught classes with two resource pull-out classes. And as of this year, they're running 29 co-taught sections with no resource at all, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Co-teaching is one of those practices that CU Home does exceptionally well, along with co-planning, co-assessing, and master scheduling to make sure that everything works. Just a quick note here, CU Home has no resource classrooms. And you'll notice it's not just co-teaching, but they put an emphasis on co-planning, co-assessing, and master scheduling. It sounds like general and special education teachers are constantly and consistently working together. CHOM has done a wonderful job at looking at not just um, this being a special education initiative, but how are we expanding this definition for all students? Um, and making sure that all students' supports and access needs are met. So we are going to pack up our things. We're going to take all of our stuff to a, um, a small I'm room. Just yes. <laughs> Before we get up. Kim Kirk, the instructional coach, takes us to a number of different classrooms. Math, language arts, science. She takes us to a class called Leadership. And before we go in, one of the educators in our group asked Kim a question. So basically what you did, if I understand it correctly, before you became a fully inclusive school, you would take your special ed 
um, staffing allocation and now they do co-teaching and then your paras that may be in that classroom are now out in gen ed. Yeah, so when we started, we had it was really a couple of our special ed teachers, which Sonia was a special ed teacher at that time before she became principal here. So she was one of our special ed teachers along with another woman and went to our principal and said, hey, this doesn't feel right. We've got a couple general ed teachers that are interested. So we did a math and an English. So we kind of just went right with the coalition of the willing from the beginning and started off with just a couple classes and then went a couple more and a couple. So now it's at the place where every year when Sonia sends out at the uh, like in December, like what are you interested in teaching? Are you interested in co-teaching? We have so many teachers that are like, I want another adult, and we don't have enough of them. So then that's where we start to try to plug in our paraeducators in that, in that realm. Can you just say your name and your role? Uh, yeah, Jordan Shelfont. Uh, I'm a paraeducator here at Salem High School. Okay. Work one-on-one with a student. Fantastic. And so what what are we in right now? What, what is this? Right now we're in leadership class. Uh, kids do a bunch of different things with organizing uh, assemblies, uh, organizing clubs. It seems like they're busy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every day. We always have our board right there. You can see they sign up for stuff, and that's their task for the day, usually when we get into the task part of it. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. What's going on? Can I say hi? I'm Tim. Hi. This is Malcolm. Malcolm? Hi, Malcolm. What are you working on, Malcolm? Well, he just finished up watering his plants for the day with his watering can. Um, now we're trying to find another task for him. Maybe doing four leaf clovers for. I made some four leaf clovers for the decoration. Yeah. We're all done. We'll save this one for later. Next time. All right. It was nice meeting you, Malcolm. Malcolm, you can say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> have a good day. Appreciate it. And so, what they need, so we have some students that we have one student that a good chunk of her day is yes. in Casey's classroom with the goal that we are going to go to this, we're going to get out into the school setting. Right. So, we she may be yeah, yeah. like more like doing TA jobs right. around the Got school it. because that is just to where she's at and where she's going to find success. We have another student um, who is nonverbal, but he goes in, pushes into our ASL class. And so there are days where he's there for five minutes. Yep. And there are days that he is there for 25 minutes, right. depending on where he's at in that particular moment. So we do still have some students that are in life skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the sense of resource of pulling out from math skills, English skills, reading skills, That's that doesn't exist. That explanation about life skills is a little concerning to me, so I filed that away to ask Sonia, Kim, and Christina later. But what I've seen so far has been very encouraging. It feels like Seahome is making an effort to make spaces available to every learner, including classes that have historically been only for learners with more extensive support needs. The leadership class I just observed I don't see why every high school couldn't have a class just like this one, 
where all learners work on projects to benefit the entire school community. I pick up the next part of my tour with Christina and catch a part of a conversation she's having with two educators. They're asking her about something that we at MCIE get asked a lot about. Grading. I think what, what CHOM is finding at this point is that usually it's like, oh, you have Down syndrome? Life skills for you. Like, there, there is that sort of segregated thinking. So now some of those students that have been in life skills their entire life are earning diplomas. Right. So if they're in the same like, co-taught class, what I think sometimes we struggle with with the gen ed teachers is the grading. Yeah. How do I grade? Because this is looking really different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you approach that with the UDL, with the, like, how do you, do you accommodatively grade? Do they get pass-fail? Like, yes, how does, all of those things. Okay. Yeah, so you, you look at the IEPs, what accommodations do they have? Um, there is always training needed with teachers and understanding that accommodations don't make things easier. It's just a tool for it to be accessible. Versus modifications. Yeah, if you've planned intentionally to use those tools, then then you're not like, okay, this kid needs this, this, this. You just do it in one lesson. You've accounted for everyone. Versus modifications, which is you are changing the expectation is there a point here in the class or with the student here where it's so heavily modified it's not the same and then that student is not in say a co-taught algebra class those students could still be in co-taught algebra they might also have an additional modification to curriculum or supplementary curriculum just here's what the lesson is how my scaffolds are working to an extent I still need them but then I also need to do more and 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 changing you're changing the objective right yep. at that point. and in that case that that student might be in a class where there's a co-taught or a, or a para that can help get that yes yeah. yeah yeah but well I guess the question comes to then what is the is there a difference in grading when when we're at that level of modifications you just just make one thing provide the scaffolds and then if a kid needs something really extra and yeah. again we're talking about like yeah, 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 yeah. No, right. You do that for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But in, in that algebra, they would maybe get a still on the same grading scale, or is that a, they would be maybe pass fail for that particular course? Yes. They would be pass. Yeah. So you could put in IEPs modified grading, which means pass fail. Make that common. Yeah. Okay. There we can just relax now. Okay, we we understand. Yeah, and but but that's one of the things that Kim was talking about that they've pushed back. There's a lot of students that have that pass fail modification grading in there and they've been like huh they're meeting standards yeah right. so they're actually starting to remove that from so IEPs you know you can yeah and it and it it took just one person again to look at the rubric and be like two is passing what's yeah. wrong with a right. two right. <laughs> like exact shows yeah. proficiency yes yeah right yes oh wow so much great stuff there but I keep moving on into more classrooms Many of them have two or three adults, and it's not obvious to me who is the general education teacher, the special education teacher, or the paraprofessional, and I think that is by design. After a while, we settle into the auditorium for a debrief. Multiple educators representing school districts from across the state of Washington and Utah and beyond are buzzing with excitement. You can see it in their faces. Inclusive education is possible. 
a common theme is that if only educators could see it themselves, then maybe they could move the needle toward inclusive practices back in their home district. As the group is being dismissed, I catch one of the teachers I observed while we were touring the classrooms. Hey, can I bug you? Mm-hmm. Could you just first say, state your name and your role? Yeah, my name is Erin Furnham, and I'm a co-teacher and department chair. Can you think of like a story of a student that had really benefited from co-teaching? One that comes to mind, it was um, during our first year. So Julie and I have been co-teaching together for five years, okay. biology. And during our first year, we were both brand new to it and we also didn't know each other very well and so we believed in trying this this thing but also like still I think had some questions in our mind around is this right like should all the students who are here really be here we you know we'll just try and there was a student in our classroom who had down syndrome so formerly would have been all served in the life skills like totally segregated classroom and they were in our ninth grade biology class and it was maybe a month or so in we were in our first unit And we were going through a routine where we had just like asked a question, but it was a pretty like rigorous, like cognitively complex question. And the room was silent, except for this student blurted out the answer and everybody in the room turned and looked at her and she was absolutely right. And I I almost like started crying and Julie and I looked at each other and it was kind of like this pivotal moment and acknowledgement about how often we are wrong about kids when we segregate them and when adults decide here's what they're capable of or because they can't do this then they can't do this like everything is so linear when it is not and that was just like that one moment but it it has happened constantly in our co-taught classes of students showing up in spaces that even five years ago people were like well that's impossible what are they really going to get out of that and they get so much out of it and they go home and they're talking to it about their parents and their parents call us and say they're, t- they're so excited about what they're learning in class and it like means something to them and there's also something like very disarming for other students when we have students with disabilities especially some of those like very presented disabilities in our classroom around like it's okay it's okay to like be where you're at like we all come in here with different identities different strengths different weaknesses it's all good and so I just feel like there's so much benefit for everybody in that space um, having kids in our classroom that have those significant disabilities. Thank you, thank you yeah, so much. Of course. That. I'm completely floored. My experience at McMicken and Seahome has been exhilarating. And I think I had pretty high expectations. As I'm headed out to make the drive back down to Seattle, I have some FaceTime with Sonia, Kim, and Christina. And the first thing I ask about is the very obvious inclusive culture that has been fostered at Seahome and how they achieved it. I'm Sonia Cole, principal at Seahome High School. I'm Kim Kirk, our instructional coach here at Seahome High School. Christina Novak, Inclusion Specialist with the IBP Demonstration Sites Project out of University of Washington. I think that what the beauty in the culture at Seahome is that it has been able to adapt and change as the people who come into a space adapt and change. Uh, I think that that's really the only way to not make it feel awkward because otherwise there is a space that someone is entering and that 
that's not what it is here. <laughs> All of our classrooms are classrooms for everyone. Um, even our students with uh, more complex needs have um, their life skills classroom that they can go to, but we also have lots of other students who enter that space as well. Like no one space belongs to one group. And I think that that is the key to starting to make the whole building feel like it belongs to everyone. I think kids are at times more accepting of humans than those of us in our adult years. We get stuck in our ways and 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 I think our kids have pushed on us. They've demanded that this is the space and they have um, created that realm of it, this student belongs with with all of us. So let's talk about life skills for a minute. So I think for a long time, parents have believed what we told them. And what we told them was that students with complex needs really are best, the services are best provided in a separate setting um, that looks more um, like we're doing community outings, we're doing some really specific IEP goals based on the things that are determined, but really keeping in a separate space is a really important piece. And we told them that, um, because that's what we believed for a long time. And so they believed us. And we have some families who really believe that that space should remain. And so we're honoring that and also continuing to try to um, re-educate and, and kind of reframe some of our own thinking um, while meeting with families and being like, what are your goals for your kids? And does this space match that? And in the places that they feel or that we agree that that matches, we've continued to provide services in that type of space. In the places where we feel like belonging, connection, access to peers is the family's goal and the student's goal, then we believe that that's best served in the general ed setting. And so that's where we've provided the services. And so right now we're kind of in this um, reframing, re-educating, making sure that we're all really clear on what our goals are for students and where is the best place to have them. We believe in a, a, a range of services and options for those. Less and less we're being able to justify that a separate space is the best place to provide that service. Like you could just shut it down today, but we don't think that that really honors the work and, and is the best interest. I really like how you phrase that, that you're really honoring the you know the decisions and the choices that that the that the family has made in and how they want to support their child, right? But you also like haven't given up and said, oh, "Well, I guess that's all we can do." But you you know you have a vision and you're moving forward. Um, so it's a both and type of thing. Yes, because I I mean I think that there are places where we need to provide a, a, a quiet, safe space for students. But I would argue that that is not a special ed thing, that that's a human thing. Mm -hmm. And so when we say like only students with complex needs need separate spaces where they go, I think that we do a disservice to everyone. What's living on your own? Like, help me, help me understand that. Well, essentially, that was a course that we had for many of our students that were receiving services in, in life skills and, and through a lot of the components that our students were learning there of just literally how do you live on your own? Like, how do you pay for, you know, your rent? What does it look like to go actually get a rental agreement? What does it look like to go and apply for a job, fill out your job application um, and realize why all of our kids need those skills as well? It's not just uh, for a certain cohort of students. And so we have two sections of living on your own, it's open to the entire school population to sign up for, and they're literally learning 
the skills that I wish that I would have learned when I was their age of like how to walk out after high school, post high school, and then, you know, eventually, hopefully moving out of your, out of your parents' house. I have a question about SDI. Okay, go for it. So it's so hard to pop in a classroom and look and look at a lesson and be like, there's SDI, there's SDI. So did, did you happen to see it or see something that, that pops out into your mind? Well, I, I mean, I can speak to like, as you walked into the history classroom, one of the things you may have noticed is we all use the same template. So kids receive the same template that's color coordinated for many of our students who need that realm of service of seeing explicitly where are we going next to links to having access to um, if like they when you left, they were going to get ready to do a reading. So every kid had access to that reading that now they can either read it in a, in their group or they can hit immersive reader and, and, and do those things. That is a continued piece that we're continuing. Like last year, that was a lot of my work was, Hey, we have these really cool tools. Let's use them for everybody. Like we need to directly teach that every kid has access to these things. So it's not just specialized for one or right. two. Well, yeah. And so, um, it's, and so I appreciate you. T- it's, uh, explaining it that way because I think that there is a misconception that SDI has to look so different for like one or two or three students or, or whatever. But if you are providing SDI, it's like the SDI for student A, B, and C, uh, that's SDI for them. But for everyone else, it's just a support. Correct. Right. And it's still SDI for them. Right. You know, but it looks the same like as a person walking in. So you're like, oh, I don't know. It's, but, but that seems to be the goal. Well, and right? we have a lot of folks that are not making 10 different graphic organizers. They're making a graphic organizer that has, is accessible to, if you believe that you need this graphic organizer to help you out, it's sitting here also knowing that I know that you may, this is going to be the best place for you to start. I think that the most of our, SDI here at Seahome happened in the planning stage, mm-hmm. right? Like that is the power. That is where instead of having to be like, I'm going to have to pull a small group out to provide this specific instruction for these needs. What we're noticing is that everyone benefits from an on-ramp. Yeah. I'll just add that like a lot of what both Sonia and Kim are describing is their journey towards like the universal design framework. So where everyone is, sort of at their own on-ramp in taking up the principles and the framework. Um, that's the number one question we get when we when we give tours is, where's the SDI? I don't see it. And we say, good, because CHOM team has intentionally designed materials to support all learners. So they're being designed with maybe your most complex learner in mind, or a few of them in mind, and then they're accessible to all. So um it's funny when we when we go into classrooms and maybe kids are doing like a lot of independent work and, you know, they might be like, oh, we're not really seeing great code teaching. Can we go somewhere else? And, and we have to say, go look at the assignment. Let's go look at it. Go talk to kids. Is it accessible for you? Um, so that's part of the beauty of the work that's happening here is that universal design element. Final soundbite. See Home High School is looking for donations for a swing. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Adult yeah. swing set. Adult swing set. You heard it here first, folks. Adult swing set. I don't want to leave. You can tell something magical is happening here in Washington. 
and I'm not even done with my visit. I still have one more school to go to, Ruby Bridges. But before we visit our last site, I want to introduce you to the extraordinary people at the Tools for the Journey conference in Pasadena, California. They have some stories to tell. That's next time on Inclusion Stories. Thank you to Michael McShean, Ray Sonnenmeyer, and Cheryl Jorgensen for their work on the Beyond Access model, which has influenced our understanding of membership participation in learning, as well as Eric Carter and his work on belonging. Inclusion Stories is written, edited, sound designed, mixed, and mastered by me, Tim Villegas, and is a production of the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. For more information about inclusive education or how MCIE can partner with you and your school or district, visit mcie.org. A huge shout out to our sponsors. We couldn't have done this project without you. Communication First, Roots of Inclusion, the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, the Thompson Policy Institute on Disability, iSecure Privacy, the White Family, the Teague Family, and to our supporters, at the Washington Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, as well as our friends at Club 21 in Pasadena, California. We are grateful for your partnership. Special thanks to our friends at McMicken Elementary School and Seahome High School. Thank you to Greg Drews and The Truth for giving us permission to use their song, The Light, from the album Yellow Rose as our theme. Check it out wherever you stream your music. Also, thank you very much to my friends in the Caffeines for letting us use End Song for the end credits of Chapter 3. Two more chapters of Inclusion Stories coming your way, so watch your podcast feeds closely. Thanks for listening. camera actually well I do have a camera but I'm not taking pictures. This is just this is audio. Just listening. Why are you taking I thought you were putting on forecast. I am I am do, he lit he yeah, you listened, didn't you? Yes, I'm I'm doing a podcast. For what? I'm gonna put out a podcast about inclusive schools. I'm Tim. Hello Tim. What are you what are you doing right now? What are you learning? Um I don't really know. We are We're not learning. We're operations. Parentheses. 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 Please email my dot a shark. There. Oh. Well, I'm not going to email. But... <laughs> Alright. Alright, I'm going to let you get back to your lesson, okay? Thank you. Okay. It's great meeting you. From MCIE.